A quirky character actor on the edge of sanity. A doomed marriage to a porn star with a famous lineage. A mysterious scuffle outside of a donut shop. Sounds like the plot of a David Lynch movie, but it's actually the story of legendary midnight movie icon Jack Nance. That's today on Death in Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. Ah! What do you call this thing, anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, everybody. What's up, kid? Welcome to episode 38 of Death and Entertainment. My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairin. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And today we are digging in the troubled life, the uh, sweet life of Jack Nance. Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> the sweet troubled life. Yeah. It ended at a sweet place. That's true. A donut shop. Oh, wow. <laughs> Too sweet. Yeah. <laughs> they do say sugar will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but is it that ain't diabetes. Is that what did it? Or we we want to let you get into it eventually. Oh, you yeah. will hear all about it. Oh, yeah. well, let's get right into it. It may have been sugar. Really? It may have been a fist to the head. Okay. We don't know. <laughs> no official diagnosis. We have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, one of those two We're things. working on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this episode is taking us to when, Alejandro? December 29th, 1996. Technically, December 30th. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, so December 30th, 1996. Mark, what do we have in the pop culture flash? Um, what do we got here? We have uh, three of the top movies that came out around this time. Number three was the movie Michael with John Travolta. Remember that? Oh. The guy from Fat Actress. Yeah. <laughs> With Kirstie Alley. <laughs> the guy, the guy from, from The Fanatic. Guy from Look Who's Talking Too. We're naming all these great movies. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget Look Who's Talking Now. Or From Paris, from Paris and Back or whatever that was. From Paris that With Love. Or something like yeah. that, yeah. Where he's bald finally. Finally. Finally ditched the toupee. Yeah. But he still kind of like danced with the toupee later on. He still kind of, it came back. Yeah, he was giving a little twirl every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really was having issues with letting go of that rug. Yeah. It looks fake. Just go bald. Just Jump lose in. it. Yeah. yeah. Dive right in. Well, I think actors before him and before that, they would stick with the toupees. They'd stick with the, the toupees are making a comeback now, though. Every, all guys have like fake hair. Nobody in Hollywood. But they won't talk about it. No one will talk about it. Nobody in Hollywood is bald. Yeah. Look around. Nobody except us. Yeah. What are the odds? (laughs) Expolding. Expolding. Exposing you bald motherfuckers. Well, speaking of bald heads, uh, Kyle right now is rocking a full-blown Eminem yes. bald head right now. Bald head? It's I mean, I mean uh, blonde head. Blonde head, I meant to say. <laughs> I forgot for a second, because Kyle, you're wearing a cap right now. Yeah. You yeah. can see a little bit poking out. Slim shady But yeah, there. you shaved your head, dyed it blonde. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a any more a, questions? It's a regular nervous breakdown, or what level of nervous breakdown is this? Uh, it, I mean, it's not a car. It's not a uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not a eighteen year old girlfriend, but yeah. uh, it's it's the first step. 
Yeah. <laughs> One of many to come. All I can say is G.I. Jane 2. Can't wait to see it. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. Kyle just slapped Alejandro. Bring it up, guys. Bring it up. Bring it up. Bring it up. Cat fight. <laughs> yeah. Denzel Washington's going to say how much he loved what he just did. The, the slap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoot. Uh, number two of the top three movies at this time is Jerry Maguire. Oh. You know, that's that's a pretty good number two movie. A classic. Classic had movie. Me Hello. Yeah. Yeah, they had the famous line. Yeah. The Bruce Springsteen song. Bruce Springsteen, yeah. Used to play song. on the radio all the time. All the time. With excerpts from the movie. Yeah. Like he, what Kyle just said. For a while, he was like, every movie in the 90s, he was like getting like a song in. Remember, uh, what was it? Streets of Philadelphia? Oh, Philadelphia? Yeah. yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. He was like Will Smith. You know, he does the, the movie song every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> number one. Around this time is 101 Dalmatians, oh. an animated Disney movie. Was it a re- release? No. 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 What are you talking about? This is the- Live action. This is the Glenn Close one. Oh, no shit. Glenn Close. Yes. We have a connection. Yeah, we. I sat behind her and her family at the Dane Cook- um, Oh, you guys have argued about Boston this before. Gar- yeah, I don't know attacked. why it's an argument. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alejandro's like, oh, really? <laughs> it's not an argument. I believe you. I just found it so outlandish to imagine Glenn Close. It's is- so specific, yeah. though. Why, Glenn- why not Meryl Streep if he's going to make something but, up? But what is Glenn Close doing at a Dane Cook concert? Yeah. Well- uh, fucking Bill Gates was just at an Andrew Schultz uh, stand-up show. Yeah, so, that's true, so too. It's usually, that's even weirder. That's even weirder. Well, this is very weird, too. Dane Cook. He he's also like the Dane Cook of his time, I guess. He also had lunch with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but, but he's dead now, so... You're really um, connecting all the dots here today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that was uh, that was number one. And uh, and Kyle, what's going on with the music situation around this time? Number three, uh, straight from the Set It Off soundtrack, En Vogue, Don't Let Go. I love this song. Parentheses, Love. I was a Don't big 90s go. R&B kind of like uh, fan. They were the best at that. It, well, Don't some would say TLC was better. Control. And then really? SWV sits with voices. Oh, SWV was yeah. dope. That's a hot take because En Vogue, they were it. I would say they were number three. They're also number three on this. I think they're in the the perfect spot right here. In the charts, number three in your heart. Just don't step in number two. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Mark. Well, guess who's not on the list? Who? Fucking, who did you TLC. say? TLC. Yeah, TLC. <laughs> I like you just lost your train of thought right there. <laughs> well, that's why Kyle's here. To yeah, help exactly. Me out. Exactly. Dude. Number two, R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly off another movie soundtrack, Space Jam. Yeah. I believe I can fly. I remember he said God wrote this song. He didn't write this song. God did. <laughs> and God pissed. They lying on me. <laughs> God pissed on those girls, too. <laughs> God's golden shower. <laughs> <laughs> little pee pee let me get that poo poo <laughs> god wrote that too yeah they flying on me <laughs> tony braxton number one with unbreak my heart which was uh young sad kyle's uh ballad that he would cry himself to sleep to she was beautiful yeah like younger as in yesterday <laughs> when you dyed your hair yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah i light some candles and dyed my hair to this song. tell me this song was playing mm-hmm. when you did it okay. kyle's life is an emotional roller coaster ride. yes you never know which kyle you're gonna get never <laughs> i thought i heard you singing it from toluca lake <laughs> yeah. wow <laughs> speaking of not established 
Non credible theories. Non credible theories. Say you love me again. Terrible. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now that was just for my my outro there for the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, speaking of unbreak my heart. Today's subject said, unbreak my head. I literally was going to fucking say that as the thing. Oh, my God. Kyle got it written down right in front of him in, in big letters. Holy shit. <laughs> I beat you. You sure did. Kyle does have, like, a, a knee slapper every podcast. He's got something prepared, and I respect that. <laughs> well, I would have liked to hear your take of it. Then. No, I was going to say... Tony Braxton wants you to unbreak your heart. Jack Nance wants you to unbreak his head. <laughs> Our subject was born Marvin John Nance in 1943. In Boston, Massachusetts. You got it. Boston, Mass for that ass. Let's go, Boston. <laughs> Before you guys get too crazy, too he fled to Dallas, Texas Ooh. shortly after. Well, he that's fled. Where, like, was there well, a murder or something? His family moved there. <laughs> okay. Really, he grew up in Dallas. Yeah. Dallas, where people go to get their heads. Yeah, they go from Boston to Dallas in. to get their heads uh, <laughs> shut off. Yeah. Ooh, it ain't on there anymore. <laughs> now Pacino's headless. Yeah. <laughs> That's Pacino's interpretation of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what happened to it? I'm a neck. <laughs> Although he was born Marvin John, he went by Jack, like the Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's all adding up now. I do not like you taking my name. (laughs) When he was five years old, he was run over by a Buick on his way to get ice cream. Really? And paramedics found a nickel still clenched in his hand. <laughs> well, well, that he held, he held on to it. He'd be a good running back or yeah. something. He doesn't fumble. <laughs> he was very excited to get the ice cream. Yeah. That, this was in Boston? You guys no, this is Dallas. Oh, Dallas. This okay, so he's already in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. He had a couple of brothers, and they said he basically was on a planet of his own. So they called him an only child, even though... They were his brothers. Really? <laughs> yeah. He was described as mad and creative. He was an artist. And later a drunk version of a Southern gentleman. Yeah. He liked to drink. Uh, I could tell. In the 1960s, he was ready to, what do you call it, fly out of the coop? Yeah. Well, he's fly the coop. Fly, fly the, the coop. coop. Leave his parents' house? <laughs> yes. <laughs> move out? Yeah. What a I'm radical. moving out. And he went, he went to San Francisco and he joined something called the American Conservatory Theater. Theater. So acting was his calling. Acting. It fit his bold personality. It's weird to go directly to San Francisco from Dallas. Why would, Like L.A. is even a closer drive. Maybe he got the, into school or something. The theater scene. Yeah. It was where he could really. Like hate Ashby and like, yep. you know, that. Who was that? Mike Nichols and uh, L- Elaine May started out there, too. So there, I guess there was a very organic, you know, acting scene there. Yeah, it was the scene, really. Yeah. When you think of 1960s. A lot of beatniks, a lot of people snapping with yeah. berets on and shit. San Francisco is right there. Yeah. He was a Republican, apparently. 
What? So he was he didn't mix in well with that crowd. He did, but that was his mo. Yeah, he was constantly. So he was like Mike Love from the uh, the Beach Boys because he's like a super conservative, like right wing guy. Right to, to grow up amongst like all these radicals and stuff in California, I'm sure it's it's different. But you know there are some outliers here and there. I suppose it was his Texas upbringing. Yeah, he was an outsider, so I imagine maybe he was a Democrat in Texas then. Yeah. yeah, wherever he went, he just decided to be the opposite. He's a contrarian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He liked to give reactions out of people. For instance, in San Francisco, he was working at a high-end boutique store. On the way in, he would grab the Black Panther periodicals yeah. and rip the pages out. And then when the customers would have fancy gifts that he would need to prepare for them, he would wrap it in the Black Panther propaganda. <laughs> he clearly loved this job. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to keep it really bad. <laughs> yeah. And in this uh, American Conservatory Theater, he shined in the starring role of a play called Tom Paine. Is that like major pain? Not to be confused <laughs> with major pain or Max Payne. Sure. Or Tom Sawyer. Okay. The pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he has like an Andrew Dice Clay play. <laughs> the pain in my ass. <laughs> Just put a cigarette over the top of my head. <laughs> hickory dickory duck. <laughs> That's, he stole the entire thing from this yeah. old play from the 1950s. And you might find this interesting. He started to get some buzz. And he was considered for the role in the movie In Cold Blood. Really? The Truman Capote movie. Yeah. Uh, for the role of Perry Smith. Truman Capote. And do you remember who played that? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, no, in the original. <laughs> the original. I know, I'm just kidding. Uh, a possible subject coming up in the future. Oh. Robert Blake. Oh, really? Yeah. Imagine losing out to Robert Blake and looking at his face and he looks like that. <laughs> the guy's a wife killer. Don't you know in 40 years he's going to kill his wife? <laughs> I lost out to a wife killer. Yeah. You just retire at that point. And incidentally, the two both appeared in the David Lynch movie Lost Highway. Oh, I I remember Robert Blake in it very well. Oh, it's great. Because that one scene, I think I put it on our Instagram a while ago where it's like he says call your house and then he and he does he goes he goes it's me i'm in your home it's just like a very creepy moment oh it's perfect i, lo I love it he looks like a fucking vampire yeah it's and that's vampires. that's before they put the makeup on yeah <laughs> he does yeah he naturally looks like a vampire like a dead person and the other role shout he, out to robert blake and another role he almost got was benjamin braddock in the graduate uh, which went to dustin, dustin hoffman really wouldn't that have been interesting that was his name in that? Benjamin Braddock? Yeah. It's so weird that Benjamin Bratt is, a, uh, is another actor, too. Maybe he Benjamin was named Button. After. Yeah, Benjamin. <laughs> I was thinking of Button, too. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, there's a lot of connections that wow, you are we're making. making all the connections. He was really one off from having like a crazy ass career. Yeah. Not that he didn't have one anyway. Who, but. Nance? Yeah. Yeah, he probably just drank his way through. He he probably <laughs> fucked up all these auditions by being too drunk. But not all of them. But like, if you lose out to Robert Blake, you know. He could have been Robert Blake. How about that? Could have been a contender. I could have been a Robert Blake. I could have been a wife murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. His first wife is Catherine Coulson. And the way he met her, he was crashing at his friend's house, and he made a bed for himself by the washing machine. Wait, like a doggy bed? What do you mean he made a bed for himself? <laughs> like 
blankets and pillows just set up on <laughs> okay. the floor there. So he was sleeping on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Catherine came up to him. I guess she had heard of him in this acting world, you know? It's a small world. Yeah, it was at that time, I'm sure. And she said, hey, I wanted to meet you. I love you. So then Nance pulled his blankets back and said, good, get in. <laughs> Into his little bed on the floor. Yeah. Which yeah. has no mattress. It's probably just a hardwood floor. Yeah. Yeah. The dream. How do you pass that up? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get in at that moment, but they did start a courtship. He eventually proposed. And in an interview, Catherine couldn't remember why she said yes. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. And she became his wife and also his caretaker and the breadwinner. Will you be my caretaker? <laughs> with as many as four jobs. Wow. While he was, you know, acting in avant-garde theater. So she's just like, um, she's not really a full-time actor. She's just doing odd jobs in order to bring in money. Precisely. So they, they don't have to live on a floor next to a washer dryer, basically. <laughs> That's it. It's funny how gray the line is between we're uh, like actor in Hollywood and homeless person. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just gray. a legitimate bum. You know, it's very. It's uh, a piece of thread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same same thing with comic. You know, improviser, writer, anything. In the descending order, and the what you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one like night of drinking away from living out of your car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a friend that's uh, an actress, and we were just talking actually over the weekend, and she's like, "I used to think I was an extrovert, um, but I think I just realized that I was just homeless for ten years." <laughs> <laughs> Is she a comedian? <laughs> she should be. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> yeah. It's just a very blurred line of like, "Wait, are you a, wor a working artist, or are you just kind of like a homeless person?" that yeah. came out here like, and had nowhere else to go. Like, without the big break, could Brad Pitt be that bearded guy pissing on the sidewalk? Absolutely. L living under the bridge on Franklin Street? Easily. <laughs> like, yeah. a good-looking old homeless dude that smells like urine. Yeah, I bet you there's some really good-looking... If you really, like, you know... If you cut back some of the, some the facial hair and stuff, the there's some studs <laughs> under the bridge. No, that, that's the new show, Studs Under the Bridge. <laughs> the new dating show. New wacky sitcom. Uh, hey, stud number three, um, what uh, homeless encampment do you live in right now? So Catherine Coulson, as if she already didn't have enough cards in her hand, she was also way taller than him. Like 5'11 oh. versus 5'6. Like Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise? <laughs> yeah. He'd get her, no, seriously, like he'd ask her to come in the kitchen sometimes to get stuff on a high shelves. Yeah. He didn't go down on her. He went up on her. Hey, Hello! Oh! Try the veal! He didn't go down under on her. <laughs> She's Australian. Yeah. <laughs> you got a trampoline to go up on. And he would step up on a box when they would get pictures together. Really? <laughs> At the wedding with Katie Holmes, he had to step on a box. She's tall, too. She's a tall drink of water. She's like 5'10". Yeah. Now that's a broad. Yeah. She could dunk. <laughs> <laughs> this show's wild today. It, is. <laughs> it really is. All right. Um, in reference to their height difference, Jack Nance would say, might as well get the biggest one you can get. Wow, he's a real classy guy. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. My hero. A scumbag. <laughs> Whoa, are you already going to the scumbag? Yes. Level? No. Good. Not me. Okay. There's no shit list yet. 
No, no, no. Okay. I'm not putting. I'm just saying he's kind of a low life, but it's not bad. <laughs> not in a bad way. It gets better. Actually, you might hate him more. But okay. let's <laughs> we'll see. see. Let's see. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Mr. David Lynch because he figures very heavily into the story of Jack Nance. Big time collaborator. Yes. David Lynch had a very transient childhood, which is a theme we have noticed yeah. with a lot of our subjects. Sure. He moved around. And then when he was an adult, a young adult, he moved to Philadelphia in the 1960s. Really? So around this time that Nance is doing his San Francisco thing, David Lynch is in Philadelphia. I thought he just lived in uh, like Montana and uh, like... He moved around a lot before that. Oh, really? All okay. over. Yeah, because right. his parents' jobs. I didn't know that. He went to school in Philadelphia based on advice from his close friend, Jack Fisk, with Fisk. a K. Like Carlton Fisk. <laughs> sure. Lynch married his first wife, Peggy, around that time, and they had a kid, Jennifer. She herself became a director. Hmm. She directed the infamous movie, Boxing Helena. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. That was... Considered a good movie. Like a cult <laughs> movie. The silence really? from Alejandro after that. <laughs> it's also the movie that Kim Basinger paid, had to pay. To get out of it, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, $6 million because yeah, she didn't want to do it, so she broke the contract. I remember you telling me this, yeah. Went to court. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you have to pay us that. 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, Boxing Helena. She should have got, well, she was still married to Alec Baldwin then. She should have got Baldwin to, you know, write a Splendid packet on her behalf or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, shoot someone. <laughs> shoot someone. Can you get rid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Go do a movie with him in yeah. Arizona, wherever that happened, New Mexico. Death by doing a movie with Alec Baldwin. And do you see how much money she paid out? Uh, let me see. Well, it doesn't matter. So the Lynches bought a cheap house in a high crime area of Philadelphia. <laughs> that could be anywhere. In- <laughs> 3.8 <laughs> sorry. Oh, that's how much she had to pay. Yeah, and Ed Harris had to back out of the film, too. Really? Yeah. What was his problem? He needed to get on with his life. That's what he, what he what? told people, yeah. And in case you're wondering, the premise was kind of salacious. It's about like a woman that's cut up and she's yeah. put into a box. Yeah. I think that the uh, the title is pretty dead on. Pretty much covers <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It's in the box. <laughs> it's Atlanta. What's the deal with it? That should have been the ending to seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they kind of stole the premise except switched it to a head. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Lynch described the area he lived as a place filled with hate and filth. In Philadelphia? Yeah, so he would... (laughs) That's Philadelphia. He would hear gunshots and he was mugged, so he just was not a happy camper there. Sure. He began making 16 millimeter short films a little bit after this, and one of his first ones was called The Alphabet in 1968 and that got some attention it's like four minutes long but that was enough to get some attention way back when or i don't even know how you even get attention like you just send videotapes out to like studios yeah, and stuff that's what he would do he would send oh, really? it out yeah yeah it was noticed by the american film institute that's who liked deal. it so much they offered him the funding for his next project wow Damn. yeah so in 1971 lynch got the fuck out of philly thank god and moved to beautiful Los Angeles. I've heard this story before. He and studied West- at the American Film Institute, the yeah. conservatory. Yeah. That's the best one. If you want to become an actual big-time director, mm-hmm. that's the best place to go. So he's set now. 
Yeah. They all believe in him. It's the best position you can be in. And after a false start, he wrote a 21-page script for a surrealist feature-length film that was to be called Eraserhead. The plot centers on Henry, a quiet man who's living in a dystopian industrial wasteland. Of Philadelphia. (laughs) Clearly based on (laughs) Philadelphia. His girlfriend gives birth to a deformed baby and then splits. So that leaves him to care for the baby all by himself. To laugh riot. Besides Philadelphia, it was also influenced by his own fears of fatherhood. Interesting. So now David Lynch, he's getting this into place. And he needs a lead actor. His friend knows a bunch of people that are part of that San Francisco theater scene. So... He asks his friend, hey, do you know anybody? Yeah. So, so he needs, like, it's hard to, like, start casting movies when there's no money. It's an AFI movie. It's basically a student movie. So he doesn't really have, like, a, you know, a database of people that you can pull from and just to get a good actor. That's the hardest thing in the world. Unless you have, like, a budget, mm-hmm. you can't just, you know, if you're not paying money at this time, it's it's rare, very rare that anyone's going to kind of just come in and act for free or audition right. for free or assume that you know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Or be good. So that's why when someone says, hey, I know somebody yeah. who'd be good for this, you listen to them because you don't have much of a choice. Here's an excerpt from a biography about Lynch called Room to Dream. This is from David Lynch's recollection. Quote, he came in and he was in a grumpy mood. Like, what the fuck is this student film bullshit? Exactly. We sat and talked, <laughs> but it was real stilted and didn't go well. I'm trying to do his voice, by the way. Mm-hmm. When we finished talking, I said, I'll walk you out. And we walked down the hall, not saying anything, and out some doors to a parking lot. We got there and Jack looked at this car we passed and said, that's a cool roof rack. I said, thanks. And he said, is that yours? Oh, my God. Suddenly, he was a completely different person. We started talking about Henry right then. Henry being in the character he plays? Yeah. Okay. So Jack Nance was this curmudgeon, not even trying to get the role. And, and Lynch is about to kick him to the curb. Yeah. Then he warms up because he sees a roof rack. Well, he's a crazy person. He's probably hungover as fuck, too. He's yeah. Probably, he's, probably like, he's probably like, I don't even need this. Like, you know, if this works out, it works out. But then, like, he's very easy to dismiss the entire fucking yeah. thing. <laughs> and so then they're working on the character right away, right there. He throws a couple of things at him. He says, hey, give me a confused look. Yeah. Okay, no, that's not it. And then he says, just be a total blank. And then Nance does the total blank face. And Lynch is like, that's it. <laughs> that's the character? Yeah, so that's what they decided. <laughs> it's weird. I've never seen a razor head, but I, I've heard it's obviously, you know, it, it like catapulted his career, so it must be pretty good. It's great. Yeah. But it's not a normal movie. I, I, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and so principal photography began on May 29th, 1972. They turned some abandoned stables into a film set slash production studio. Where Where about? Los Angeles. Like in like L.A. proper or is it just like somewhere around? Somewhere around. Okay. (laughs) Does it matter? No, no, it doesn't matter. Okay. Oh, the stables were located on the campus of the American Film Institute. Oh, okay. There we go. So they had like sets and stuff and shit set up probably for, you know, past productions of things Mm -hmm. that they've done. And like, you know, it's a very common area they could use. And they turned these unused stables into not only the set, but the whole studio. 
Yeah, they're like a good program. I've I've talked to two people that I've done that. One guy who was in my IO one oh one class oh. uh in at IO West uh, became like a big director and stuff and he went to the AFI Institute and uh another guy, I think he's he does like mid budget movies and stuff now, but like it's like the best place. It's to a go. dream for an upcoming filmmaker. Like, all these other film uh, places like UCLA and USC, I don't think you just go to AFI. That's where you actually become a, a big filmmaker. UCLA, you become Brett Ratner. AFI, <laughs> yeah. you become David Lynch. You become a scumbag who fucks seafood or whatever he was doing, <laughs> jerking off with seafood. Who the fuck knows what he was doing? Brett Ratner. Oh, Brett Ratner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The AFI only gave Lynch a $10,000 grant. Reasoning that Easy Rider costs so little to make and made so much money. Yeah, but those were those were all like the director and friends, of uh, course. You know, but that's ridiculous. So then Lynch had to borrow money from his parents and worked a paper route. What delivering the Wall Street Journal? Yes. Delivered in the Wall Street Journal in Los Angeles. Kicked some is... kid off his bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> paper route. He's, he's still wearing the suit when he's uh, delivering <laughs> the papers. Yeah. <laughs> and the hair is just flying in the air. Look, there's David Lynch coming down the block. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. A paper route. You, that would be enough to in order to make to make yeah, a, a small a couple of nickels. I know. To yeah. Add to the budget. I had a couple of paper routes, and yeah, it it you don't really make that much money. Surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, what a shocker! Shocking. Yeah. You're blowing the lid off the paper route industry. I know. Because of these financial issues, the production would start and stop throughout the years. So this was a very long shoot. Yeah. Eventually, his friend Jack Fisk, who recommended he go to Philadelphia to study. Yeah. Gee, thanks. I know. It's for the worst. <laughs> what was he doing during this, you wonder? And Fisk's wife, Sissy Spacek. Wow. Ended up donating money to the production to keep the ball rolling. Nice. So he came through it finally. After he fucked over his life. Yep. Now Lynch can do it. You can see, you know, that's the coming picture. together. Yeah. yeah. And... During filming, he designed Jack Nance, the character of Henry, to have tall hair. And so, remember Nance's wife, Catherine? Yep. The breadwinner yeah, four and caretaker? Yeah. Well, now she has a fifth one because she becomes his hairdresser oh, on yeah. set. And she would have to do that hair every single day. Now, that's a job. And if you see the... I mean, look up eraser head. That's what it's yeah, known it's, for. It's, He's got like a fro. Yeah. He looks like a giant eraser. Of like course. Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Kyle's next hairstyle after, yeah. the, after the blonde thing. People warned Lynch that it would look ridiculous, but he's like... I think it'll be perfect. Well, that's the most memorable thing about it is the, the on the poster, the guy has crazy hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looks like a nut. And in an interview in 1995, Jack Nance said, quote, David said, you know, Jack, one of these days, guys are going to be trying to get their hair to look like that. And at which time I told him, well, that's when I'm going to leave the country. <laughs> <laughs> that day has not come yet. No. <laughs> he didn't have to leave the country. I get, yeah. They left the planet. They left the earth. Yeah. Lynch eventually <laughs> divorced his wife, Peggy, and began living on the set. Also, at this time in the production, David Lynch became a vegetarian. He quit drinking alcohol, and he began practicing transcendental meditation, of which he's a big proponent of to this day. Really? He has grants he awards people. Yeah, I never got into it. Definitely not vegetarian. None of those sound particularly fun. No. Nance, on the other hand, 
fell deeper into alcoholism. He and Catherine were constantly at each other's throats. And I have a clip. So this is something David Lynch witnessed on the set. Catherine was upset with Jack. So in the in the garage by the stables there, she confronted uh, Jack. And um, Jack was, you know, pretty drunk, but they were eyeball to eyeball. What a and shocker. Jack said Wait, how to Catherine, she's so tall? get in the stall horse face. <laughs> at which point Catherine gave Jack an uppercut like you couldn't believe. Bow! And out! Jack goes down on his knees, tears squirt out of his eyes. <laughs> he cut his nose open with a ring. <laughs> and that kind of ended the evening. Um, there, Catherine and Fred and everybody went off uh, on one car. And I went to Copper Penny on Sunset with Jack. And we stayed up till five. Um, Jack sobered up. And um, we just um, had a great talk, kind of laughing about what had gone on earlier in the evening. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, if they weren't drinking, how are, what are they doing? Just kind of hanging out at a bar just until 5 a.m.? I think he was drunk somehow. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Or very hungover. Maybe, yeah. It's funny, they, they said they were eye-to-eye at some point, but like, wasn't she like two foot feet tall then? He was doing the Tom Cruise thing, standing on a box. Oh, <laughs> okay. I should have assumed that. Needless to say, stable horse face. <laughs> Get in a stable horse face. <laughs> it's another good line. <laughs> what a charmer. Yeah. yeah. This guy, I, well, I was right at the beginning. He is a scumbag. Yeah. We're getting pretty much. He's a low yeah. life. Needless to say, the two would be divorced by the movie's release. Okay. Him and Catherine. Get out of here. Done deal. Yeah. Eraserhead was completed in 1976, finally. So remember when I, I said it started? 1972. Oh, my so God. So this is a, a student film that lasted four years. The longest student film of all time. How was David Lynch? I guess he's doing the paper route for four years to, like, sustain himself. Yeah. How the fuck can he do that? He must have been in good shape. Well, all LA- that bike riding. Yeah. Oh, and just paper throwing. Yeah. <laughs> You also things were a lot cheaper in L.A. back then. I'm sure you could get like a apartment for nothing for a nickel on the or west something. side. Yeah. yeah, yeah. None of you have seen the Eraserhead, right? Nope. Well, the look of the film is striking. It's this nightmarish industrial landscape, as I described, and it's in black and white, and it has special effects that bring things like that deformed baby to vivid life. <laughs> this sounds like. A crazy movie. Yeah, and just as powerful is the soundtrack. Oh. Lynch and sound designer Alan Splett spent a year working on the film's audio. Is that the same guy that he worked at, like, prior, like, movies after that and stuff? Like, uh, like Lost Highway? Because I always like the music from his from his movies. Like Mulholland The composer Drive. for most of his later work was Angelo Badalamenti. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah that guy is huge. Yeah. So he, the, Angelo was not in the picture just yet. Not yet. Okay. But can you imagine they finish the movie, then he spends a year on the audio? The balls on this guy, like it's perfection. That's crazy, but I like I respect just not giving. Some people just throw anything at the wall, just hope that they get noticed for it. Yeah, it's layers upon layers upon layers of tracks, and then there's a low level background humming throughout the entire movie. Like a frenetic pacing of of tone that kind of like let, puts you in the place of this character. Yeah, yeah, it really feels like you're there when yeah, you watch yeah. it. You're, you're totally absorbed, 
whether you understand what's going on or not. And then, of course, at the movie center is Jack Nance's iconic performance, which Kyle aptly compared to Frankenstein. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like Frankenstein meets Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Well, the doctor, because it's it's actually named after the doctor, not the monster. Oh, listen to Mark. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. Actually, Marky Contrarian. The Frankenstein monster. Well, actually. Yeah. And we, I have a little clip. Mary tells me you're a very nice fellow. What do you do? Oh, oh I'm on vacation. What did you do? Oh, oh. oh I'm sorry. His girlfriend starts convulsing, by oh, the way. I work at the Bell's factory. <laughs> That's a reaction. I'm a printer. Henry's very clever at printing. And listen to the sound. Yes, he sounds very clever. Do you see what I mean? Well, I could see being like some art house, you know, uh, movie theater on like Pico or something and watching that weird movie and it just getting that vibe. Yeah. All of it. So the movie was largely ignored when it was first released in 1977, five years (laughs) after they start the damn thing. Wow. Wow. Audiences were nonplussed and Variety called it a sickening bad taste exercise. Nice. But eventually, (laughs) distributors had the bright idea to sell it as a cult movie. So then it ended up enjoying very long runs on the midnight circuit in New York, L.A., and San Francisco, grossing something like $7 million. Wow. Well, he also got lucky because that was like a a burgeoning uh, market and scene of, you know, indie movies like that. And they were like small, like art house, you Mm -hmm. know, movie places that would... You know, they're always looking for new shit to put out. And this had everything going for it. That great poster with the hair. Yeah. The name Eraserhead. You know, it's a movie that so many different interpretations. So it lends itself to seeing it again. Yeah. And so it's right up there, considered one of the most influential midnight movies of all time. And then critics also reevaluated Eraserhead as the years went on, citing it as a surrealist horror classic with thematic elements and a visual style that would come to define David Lynch's later work and solidify his status as an American auteur. Well, you you, you didn't know probably watching that that he was going to become the like have the career that he did and he created his own, you know, genre of film basically. And everything's right there in Eraserhead. It's exploring like what lies underneath the surface yeah. of quote unquote normal dreams versus reality and then also his seamless mix of the whimsical and the monstrous yeah that's david lynch right there yeah pauline kale the influential film critic would go on to call lynch the first populist surrealist (laughs) whatever that means a lot of ists (laughs) yeah because he makes very surreal for for the of the people he makes very popular surreal films yeah well, you know, popular to the extent of what, though? I like them. No, I <laughs> I do, too. But, like, you know, they're not, like, you know, big blockbusters. That he right. It's not yet. Rush Hour. No, it's not Rush Hour, which they're, is a crazy example to throw out there, there. But I'll take it. They're like block crackers. 
They're like just <laughs> cracking the block, not busting it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Whatever yeah. that means. <laughs> block thumpers. Right. <laughs> Great example, Kyle. <laughs> Mel Brooks of Blazing Saddles fame. Of course. Came out of a screening of Eraserhead and told Lynch, you're a madman. I love you. And then hired him to direct The Elephant Man. Really? The story of Joseph Merrick, who had a deformity that made him look like an elephant. Why is Mel Brooks making the decision to make the elephant? He man? produced it. Did he? Yeah. He bought the rights or something? Or I, yeah. That's he a weird had the rights lineage to of, the story. Of the story. Yeah, wow. that's weird. He was like, I want to buy, you know, he did, he did the produce. He does yeah. like slapstick comedy. Why is I he, know. Why, why is he buying this? Exactly. <laughs> so it turned out to be a very great move for Lynch as his second feature, also in black and white. So it's a natural follow-up to Eraserhead. Yeah. A lot of the same themes, too. They do a stage play of that now, right? There's yes. A, there's an Elephant Man. I think Bradley Cooper did it a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that it's that's like a big thing to own. I, it's a big yeah. story. David Lynch received an Oscar nomination for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Picture. For Elephant Man. Yeah. Shit. So that catapulted Lynch into the, the big time, as Yeah, they he's say. very well known. He's, you know... A lot of uh, light is shining on him right now. Yeah, so his next movie was Dune, which it was a big commercial movie, and it failed. It failed. Yeah, it legendarily failed. That's why um, uh, the director of the more recent version was, he went into it uh, apprehensively, but he but it's, it was a dream of his to to make that that book, mm-hmm. which it all, it's all based off of um, Villeneuve, is yeah. the guy's name that did the more recent version of it. But uh, Lynch didn't even like his version of it. Why? Why did he? Did he really want to do it? Was he a big fan of the book, or was he just, just randomly? Yeah, just randomly. Well, it was Del, uh, Oscar De La Rendis, uh Dino De La Rendis. Dino Oscar De La, like the, the he's fighter. like ha- half boxer, <laughs> half um, you know movie producer. No, yeah, the 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 De La Rentis is the one that it kind of forced him into doing it. Yeah, it seemed like it would make sense for him because it was a big budget movie, but it still had an artistic kind of based it wasn't like a full blown blockbuster movie so he was so dissatisfied with that experience that led to his next two movies blue velvet yep and wild at heart and he had total creative control and all three of those by the way featured mr jack nance oh really Mm -hmm. so he's always like like paul thomas anderson would have his like usual stable of players and stuff jim nance He's like the <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman of Paul Thomas Anderson movies gotcha. to David Lynch. <laughs> yes. What were you going to say, though? Uh, just talk about the stable of players. Like Kyle MacLachlan became one, too, uh, for, for Lynch. Dune was his first film ever. Really? Kyle MacLachlan, yeah. No Lucky shit. break. Yep. So he made him. And of. the soundtrack was done by Toto. Oh, which is very God. not David Lynch sounding. Yeah. Was the song Africa in the movie? Yeah. Over and over and over. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and the score was based on Africa. Yeah. yeah. It was just a music video for Africa. <laughs> Brought to you by Africa. <laughs> just like the car accident with Jennifer Grey and Matthew Broderick. Oh, okay. Sounds of Soweto. It sounds Soweto, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I'm just trying to connect some dots. You know? Well, speaking of connecting dots, just really quick. Go uh, ahead. Uh, I didn't know Matthew Broderick did The Lion King right after um, right after that accident a couple of years later. Yeah. It sounds of Soweto might, must have been in their brain. <laughs> in his brain at that moment. Shout out to uh, my buddy Mac, who actually pointed that out on our YouTube yeah. recently. <laughs> That's yeah. a very interesting point, because 
it's got to go through Broderick's head at some point. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Am I in like a car wreck right now <laughs> yeah. when he hears the songs? And my comment back to my buddy Mac on YouTube was like, he's probably still thinking of Swayze stuffing his girlfriend. <laughs> 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 he's already he's already too filled with uh, that stuff. stuff. <laughs> and he's squeezing his water bottle <laughs> and the water's pouring out. <laughs> All right. So back to Jack Nance. Now we're in the 1980s. Eraserhead, that's done its thing. He's now like the face of midnight movies. So his Eraserhead is still like making those rounds. As... Yeah, he's a he's like the Eraserhead guy. Okay. He, so he shows up in movies like Ghoulies. He was in uh, Suicidal Tendencies music video. Wow. He's the go-to guy if you need like a little... Like a weird guy yeah. in the background or something. Yep. Yeah. And with success came excess. Uh-oh. Another theme we've explored before. So with Catherine Coulson out of the picture, his first wife. Horse face. Yeah. She was a horse face. <laughs> so, yeah, Nance was a total disaster now that he's single. Um, he would and drink, he's ready to mingle. To quote Chumba Wumba, he would drink <laughs> a fifth of vodka per day. Per day. Or whatever alcohol. He'd drink a whiskey drink. He'd yeah. drink a vodka drink. <laughs> Doesn't he say like fifth of something? Probably. Oh, maybe I yeah. invented that. No, that was uh, M&M. I drink a fifth of vodka. Want me to drive? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Well, I mixed up M&M with Chumba Wumba. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he must get that a lot. I mixed up Kyle with Chumba Wumba. I know yep. Kyle, yeah. Exactly. The real uh, Kyle Shady. Yep. When he would go <laughs> stay at a friend's house, he'd clean out their bar. <laughs> One guy said he had a whole setup, all these bottles. Jack Nance was there for about a week. Yeah. Everything was gone. At I used the to have Uncle week. like that. Just yeah. like, just, just. Down That's everything dirt we had. bag shit. It yep. is, yeah. <laughs> Not even bring anything. Yeah. <laughs> you bring a bottle of wine. Sure, if you drink it there on your own, that's fine. Yeah. Or bring it home with you, but you don't just drink other people's shit. I had a buddy that brought this nice bottle of whiskey somewhere, yeah. but then someone else had like a similar bottle of whiskey. So then he took his back home unopened. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There are those people out there. They live amongst us. And when Nance would stick to beer, he'd be pretty pleasant. Yeah. But hard liquor would take him to the dark side. One time, he was spotted arguing with an eight-year-old at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, dude, what are you doing? He's just a little kid. It's like a Will Ferrell character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, I would like to know what happened there. Yeah, you know, what did like, the eight-year-old say? Yeah, what did he say? What was he wearing? What was he wearing? You smell. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you little bastard. Oh, give it to you, motherfucker. Another time at the rap party for Dune... Hosted by Dino De Laurentiis. That must be quite a rap party. Yeah, Dino De Laurentiis was doing some <laughs> communion ceremony with oh, like his goddaughter or something. And then and Roman Polanski's there. I think he had to flee to Europe well, by the reason, that point. The reason why I, I brought that up is because Dino De Laurentiis actually supplied his private jet so uh, oh. he could actually get out of L.A. Oh, and, and get out of the country. Was Maybe Dune was also shot not in the United States. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it was either. Okay. But he had his own private jet and he got, uh, he got Roman Polanski out of town. Wow. On his jet. So at this rap party, Jack Nance passed out in somebody's lap. Hilarious. I actually don't blame him for that one. It must have been really boring. Yeah. A fucking communion type uh, ceremony. Yeah, there's like, there's a pre-ceremony. Just to watch Dino De Laurentiis do some shtick. Yeah. I would have, uh, I would have left, actually, yeah. not passed out. <laughs> don't get too drunk around those priests, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to pass out here. There's a clergyman <laughs> behind you. 
<laughs> Other friends who partied with Nance during those years in the 80s recall long nights of ingesting substances and having intense, deep conversations. Not one word of which they could remember the next day. Yeah, I'm sure they were very in-depth conversations. They, <laughs> yeah. they got a lot done there. Nance's family stopped inviting him to Thanksgiving because they thought he'd scare the kids. Well, people on Thanksgiving get fucked up. Yeah. That's like the, one of the drunkest holidays for yeah. some reason. You don't want... A lot er- of family fights. You don't want Eraserhead. No way. No way, Jose. Uh, You see that? (laughs) That's Uncle Eraserhead. (laughs) He drinks too much. Literally, you just see his legs because he's in like the the liquor cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. His legs kicking out from the front of it. Like, how deep is that liquor cabinet? (laughs) (laughs) He keeps mini bottles in his hair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One night he was taken to the hospital because he had drank so much. And then the doctor who helped him detox. And the doctor said. Told David Lynch that he was in his early 30s at the time. He told him that Nance had the body of a 50-something-year-old man (laughs) with liver spots. Did he have liver spots? Or was he saying you're like a 50-year-old man with liver spots? Yeah. I know. That was worded weirdly. (laughs) He had liver spots. Oh, boy. But that's the thing. Nance looked like an old man immediately after he raised her head for some reason. <laughs> it was like that movie Old. Like Benjamin Button. The Shaman Shaman Lama Ding Dong. M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where suddenly fifteen minutes later he looks like a grandpa. Yeah, they jump cut. They're like, Wow, you're older. <laughs> yeah. Great effects. <laughs> yeah. That was the gist of the movie. Whoa. Although it was sort of intriguing. But anyway, I digress. His co-star from Eraserhead, Charlotte Stewart, who played his wife in the movie, the one that was convulsing in that clip, she owned an apartment building in L.A. and, as a favor to him, paid Nance to manage it. Could you imagine? So one night, (laughs) his neighbors knocked on his door and complained that he and his buddies were being too loud and that they were going to complain to the management. Then Nance said... Oh, yeah, I'm the management. Oh, my God. And then he used to hide down the street if any tenants needed to talk to him about a maintenance issue. <laughs> so that didn't last very long. And this I have, guy's a piece of work. And we like these David Lynch recollections, right? Yeah. Well, I have another one when Nance was back to living on his own and David Lynch visited him one day. Oh, my God. I went to visit him one time when he's living above Highland and it was like a one-room place and he was sitting on the edge of his bed in this bathrobe and slippers it's called the studio and i came in <laughs> Thank and you. he didn't ever move he, i just sat down and we just sat there you know for about a half hour sounds fun and later on he told me he'd been sitting there for a couple of hours trying to figure out whether or not to open the curtains <clears throat> and uh, i was that kind of thing yeah we get it yeah yeah i get that all the time that kind of thing (laughs) totally normal i thought for a second i thought he was gonna say a couple days he was sitting there just waiting to see if he wanted to open the curtains now that would just be outrageous jeez christ this fucking nance guy on another occasion nance shot his tv because sam donaldson was annoying him I can get that, actually. And then he was surprised when they kicked him out because of that. <laughs> well, you never an... shot your TV before? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, remember, he's from Texas. <laughs> yeah. So he's about guns. And Boston and... before that. I know, oh, yeah. God, what a combo. Double doozy, yeah. yeah. 
Yikes. Well, that's what Elvis would do. He'd shut it, you know, to shut his teeth, he'd shoot it also. Between yeah. having sex with 12-year-olds. Yeah. Whoa. And doing whatever. And, yeah. and dying while shitting. Um, Yowie. <laughs> Finally, even Jack Nance had had enough. He's had enough. Yes. Okay. <laughs> enough of my own bullshit. <laughs> I've had enough of you. He's stared in, stared in the mirror. And he decided it is time to change. So guess who he sought advice from? Michael Jackson, Steven, the man in the mirror. Steven Seagal. Dennis Hopper. Ah. As you do. Yeah. Like, I'm on the bus. <laughs> Dennis Hopper was uh, near. Pop was, quiz hot shot. Was nearly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was newly sober at that time because they met on the set of Blue Velvet. Of oh, yeah. He flew Nance to rehab. Wow. And he's like, don't worry. They're going to give you all your drugs when you get there yeah. and wean you off of them. But he was lying. So when Nance showed up, he's like, oh, damn it. You lied to me. <laughs> Hopper. And it led to him getting clean. Nice. Yeah. So, hey, Dennis Hopper, give him a little. Give him a little credit. <laughs> give him a little applause here. Yeah. <laughs> so newly sober. Just like Dennis Hopper was during Blue Velvet, Jack Nance has a new lease on life. He's getting offered more roles now, and he's more lucid. Is the word out maybe that he's like sober now and like all that those antics of insanity are kind of over with? Probably. Because he'd be canceled now, but like you can actually rebound mm -hmm. as a dude like that, I'm sure, back then. Yeah, I'm sure Dennis Hopper went around. No, Kyle? You he's don't like think the, so? He's like the Alec Baldwin of his time. Yeah. I Perhaps feel like just a yeah. wild card that I, well I don't know if he's as good at the acting but um, maybe he's that's better than, Baldwin. Th than Alec Baldwin. <laughs> that's debatable. Yeah, <laughs> but guess what part um, Nance was offered the role of a diner cook in Miracle Mile. Get out of town! And he even met with the producers and the director. But then he shocked everybody in the room when he told them he was going to pass on the role because it. It was going to conflict with his new job as a security guard. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so then an actor, Robert Dokey, took the role instead. That's oh, wow. ballsy. I love that. Like in the audition. Oh, I'm passing on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't believe it. He showed up to tell yeah, them Why that. did he show up? Because <laughs> he's a Southern gentleman. Oh, that's nice. Nance took his sobriety seriously, and he worked all kinds of odd jobs in between these acting roles. He took courses to become a paralegal and even worked as a desk clerk at Hotel Hollywood. Hmm. Wait, where is that? What hotel? Wait, it's in Hollywood. Wait, is that the one that's on uh, Vermont? I think the Hollywood so. Hotel is some fucking dungy, nasty place where they used to do open mics. I remember. Picture this if to you go will. all Rod Serling on you. If you will. Maybe you're a little buzzed. You're kind of tired. Yeah. You go to check into your hotel. And Eraserhead is the desk clerk. That would be frightening. <laughs> Wouldn't that be mind-blowing? Yeah. It's on Yucca in Hollywood. Ew, Yucca. Oh, Yucca. Diff different place, but, but uh, I can imagine that would be insane if, if he's working there. I, I thought I, I was on an acid trip if that happened. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then Dennis Hopper is the, the guy getting your bags. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you want me to set your luggage? What number are you? <laughs> You need to go to rehab. <laughs> right after that, though, came Twin Peaks. And Nance was a series regular. So Twin Peaks is David Lynch's masterful TV series. series. Yeah. Which is shocking that it was on ABC. It is. 
It's Why? weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not commercial. But this is also before Disney bought ABC. Right. It was True. a totally so, different thing. Totally different ABC then. And it was so popular that actually the cast became really hot for that year, that yeah. first year in 1990. Laura Flynn Boyle still, uh, you know, she got some heat after, even after that. In a Starlog interview in 1990, Jack Nance said, quote, I always say I hope David never discovers that he can make a picture without me because I might never work again. <laughs> His character on Twin Peaks is Pete Martell, the kind-hearted grandfatherly manager of the Packard Sawmill. In the pilot episode, he finds the body of murdered homecoming queen, Laura Palmer, <laughs> yeah. which sets the show into action. His scream is very memorable. Though. Yeah, and we have a clip. This is him discovering the body. He was fishing and sees the body on the shore. <laughs> and she's wrapped in plastic. Lucy... Lucy, this is Pete Martell. Lucy, put Harry on the horn. Sheriff, it's Pete Martell up at the mill. Morning, Pete. Harry. She's dead. <laughs> Wrapped in plastic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on a second, Pete. I would never think that that was him. Yeah. And that line he said, wrapped in plastic. Yeah. That was famous. People would quote it to him all the time, and then it even inspired a fanzine that ran for 75 issues in the 90s that was called Wrapped in Plastic Magazine, <laughs> devoted to everything David Lynch. This is before people would be insane online. They'd be yeah. insane on fanzines. And yeah. <laughs> Little trivia also in Twin Peaks was his ex-wife, Catherine Coulson, as the log lady. Wait, Horseface? From yeah. Horseface to Log Lady. <laughs> so she was the lady that... That's the biography. That's right the Catherine Coulson that, story. That always <laughs> held that log that would give her visions yes, that she would yeah, share yeah. with the townspeople. That's his ex-wife. Wow. Well, they played... Well, not, there's not any really normal people in this show, so that makes sense that they're... Oddly freaky. enough, Nance was one of the more normal characters. On that show. <laughs> but he was fishing at like five in the morning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we could dissect that. We, you know, from... we don't have time to dissect yeah. Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not even going to attempt it. Of course. <laughs> um, Nance hadn't had a serious relationship since Catherine, since the divorce, but he had recently fallen in love with Kelly Van Dyke, daughter of Jerry Van Dyke and niece of Dick Van Dyke. Wow. As wow. a child, Kelly appeared in the series My Mother the Car, <laughs> considered one of the worst shows of all time. And as an adult, she worked in the porn industry under the name Nancy Kelly. Wow. Appearing in such videos as Anal Adventures and Old Fashioned Spanking, which Jack also appeared in. And he's one of the few mainstream actors to have appeared in a porn film. I don't like the new spanking. I like the old-fashioned spanking. Yeah. <laughs> She's not on Pornhub right now. I just tried to check. Oh, sick. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Kyle has it favorited. Yeah. Yes. We got to do some research. <laughs> yep. I love this weird underbelly of Hollywood that involves all these kind of weird people that are, are with, you know, David Lynch and stuff. Yeah. And I think every... Like um, cult director like that has like some weird following of bizarre people. Like even it started with Ed Wood way back in the mm -hmm. day. He had all those weird hangers on that were played so very well in that Jim Jarmusch movie. 
Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, you're right. And each one of those side characters was like a whole character in and of themselves. That yeah. was interesting. Andy Warhol, too. Like, his whole thing, they had that, mm. you know, shit going on with all his indie movie stuff. Like, any weird schlock or not schlock or just kind of artistic director had a weird crew around them. And John Waters with uh, yes, Patty yeah, Hearst. And Divine, yeah, and all yeah. that shit, yeah. And that mustache. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for the kids today they'll have no idea but jerry van dyke was a sitcom star yeah from coach coach yeah and in real life he was this really religious family man really the daily show years ago did a parody segment interviewing him yeah because he was such a religious fanatic (laughs) was he that i'm sure he's not alive anymore he's dead now yes Done. Yeah, but 2018. Co- Coach, I was a huge fan of that show. I, I really liked it. Uh, I was more of a dauber guy than Jerry Van Dyke's character. But you are a fan. Did yeah. you know they were going to reboot it and they filmed a pilot? Yeah, and, and it just went nowhere. Because they, they realized, yeah, people don't want Coach to come back, <laughs> yeah. actually. No one cares. <laughs> yeah, we, just Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Mark in North Hollywood. We got the temperature of the room and only Mark cares. <laughs> and he's not an enough. <laughs> and we to... don't care about him. <laughs> so... That's why it's so odd that he has this daughter that's making porn films because it's not his image at all. Yeah. Well, that happens. You know, people rebel. People yeah. go astray. And, you know, she's probably, yeah, she's probably reacting to her crazy Christian family. So she had a falling out with him and then she would jab at him. She did a porn flick called The Coach's Daughter. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and she told a friend, wait till my dad sees this. Oh, shit. She also, though, had a lot of guilt and depression. She told the National Enquirer, quote, I was desperate to get my father's attention. And when I didn't get it, I went wild. I was an alcoholic and I began having sex when I was 11. I even went to a wild Hollywood party and was drinking heavily. I came onto a major movie star and we ended up having sex. When my father found out about my alcohol and sex problems, he forced me to live with my grandmother. (laughs) Is that a way to straighten you out? I guess. Was she a horse face, Jim? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so That's not the question you were expecting. <laughs> no. <laughs> she had problems with substance abuse, majorly, and Jack Nance actually met her in rehab. They married in May 1991. Really? Jack, yeah. Geez. Wow. May 1991, and the marriage was rocky from the get-go. Although Nance claims it was also happy. Because she's young and he's old as shit at this point. uh Yeah. And remember, he looks a lot older and physically is pretty much older. He just the liver spot. Yeah. Yeah. He really is like a grandpa. Well, he just just chugs vodka all day long, it seems. (laughs) He's sober now, That's not good for you. But, okay, the damage might be done. No, he was sober during this whole Twin Peaks thing. And it was like a resurgence for him. He he started to really enjoy life again. Yeah. And he was bringing in good money from the show. So he was actually very happy. But then he connected to this really troubled girl. And it really pulled him into the dark side. Oh, yeah. That, which that'll I'm do it. About to get into right now. At a party for Twin Peaks, the <laughs> cast and crew. Imagine what that rap party's like. Um, Nance showed up with his wife, Kelly, and one of her girlfriends. And, you know, David Lynch, ever the observationalist. Yeah, he's just talking shit about his buddy all the time. He observed that when Nance left the room, 
uh, Kelly Van Dyke would immediately start hitting on other guys. Oh, oh shit. So he said, so I kind of got what their whole situation was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boy. Um, Nance says that the last half a year of her life, Kelly Van Dyke was hopelessly addicted to booze and antidepressants. She had become bitter and hostile and even had an affair with porn actor Jerry Butler. And then to jab at Nance, she called him up and forced him to listen to her having sex with him. Jesus. Towards the end, the even the porns dried up. And Van Dyke was... He, he couldn't even get a, a part in a porn? <laughs> was relegated mostly to stag parties. Oh, okay. On Friday, November 15th, 1991, she performed at a bachelor party at a bar called The Feed Store in a seedy area of Burbank. Like, this is 1991. This is not that long ago. I fe- It feels like the 50s still, kind of, yeah. doesn't it? I don't know. Her friend and co-performer, <laughs> Daphne, recalls being uneasy about the gig. You think? Kelly got a little too wild, and then one of the attendees, a man named Brandy Cordova, became protective of her. So then... She left with him and they went back to her place. And then her lover, Jerry Butler, the porn star, and his girlfriend, Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday Adams in the Adams Family TV show. Oh my God. They joined them that night. And in a drunken haze, Kelly Van Dyke tried heroin for the first time. Why not? And shot up and then talked of wanting to kill herself. Oh boy. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> a couple days later, Sunday, November 16th, 1991. Imagine that hangover after that. Jesus yeah. Christ. Jack Nance was filming Meatballs Part 4. That's my favorite one. On location <laughs> in Bass Lake. Up for best screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> Near Yosemite. The cinematographer is actually amazing. So he's up north. Yeah, doing the fourth Bill, Bill installment yeah. of the Bill Murray's long gone by of that. the celebrated yeah. franchise Meatballs. Yeah, American classic hmm. that is Meatballs. Well, you don't even bother to see the first one now, let alone the fourth one. Co-starring Corey Feldman, by the way. Ah. So you know it's a great movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. Then <laughs> production was shut down that Sunday because there was a heavy rainstorm. Simultaneously, back in L.A. Kelly was having an episode, a manic episode. And Jack, I'll call him Jack now. Okay. He was trying to calm her down over the phone. And supposedly he was fed up and he attempted to bring up the idea of separating. But Kelly was combative and inconsolable. So he said he was going to hang up. He didn't want to deal with it. But then she threatened that if he did so, she would kill herself. All of a sudden, the phone went dead because of the storm. So Jack rushed over to director Bobby Logan's cabin and said, I think my wife just killed herself. And the director thought it was a joke because they had been pulling pranks on each other throughout the filming. (laughs) So then the director quipped, listen, Jack, being married to you, who could blame her? Oh, my God. (laughs) Then there was a pause and a tear strolled down Jack's cheek. And Logan realized it wasn't the rain. This was real. Fuck. Jack was desperate to get in touch with her before it would be too late. They tried another phone in the cabin, but it was dead too. In a nightmarish scenario that can be described as Kafka-esque, 
You like that word? Nice. They Whoa. drove to a nearby saloon, but that phone was dead too. Then they stopped by a firehouse, but it was empty. Apparently, they were off that day. And so, because <laughs> it's raining, so they just uh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, they're like, let's hang it up here. <laughs> all the fires will be put out naturally. Finally, they found a sheriff station where there was one deputy on duty. He then placed a call to the LAPD and to the manager of her North Hollywood apartment on Bellingham Avenue. What? Ooh. Wait, Bellingham? That's yeah. way up there. They found her dead hanging from a nylon cord in her bedroom. Jeez. Oh, my God. She was 33 years old. Yikes. Director Bobby Logan, remember Meatballs 4? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Recalls Jack walking back into the room after speaking to the cops over the phone and nodding his head no somberly before breaking down and sobbing. A PA then reminded the director that Jack owned guns and they collected them from him before driving him home. Oh, wow. He brought guns up to the Meatballs yeah. for set? Remember he shot that <laughs> Sam Donaldson TV? Yeah, I know, but <laughs> guns around him. But he goes up to like shoot a movie, and he brings a fucking well, you know, if, arsenal with him. If Corey Feldman, and whatever else he can see. Yeah, if Corey Feldman gets out of line, you know. <laughs> yeah, you got to take him out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get this. Less than a week later, Jack Nance was back on set to finish the movie, and the irony is that the first scene he filmed coming back involved him apologizing to his granddaughter, whose name is Kelly. Wow. Wait, what cut? Meatballs 4, what the fuck happened? This story got up way off, off the track. Yeah. It, I thought it was just about a camp where people just, uh, you know, showed their nuts. He, <laughs> I guess he made a bad financial decision in the movie, and so he has to sell the camp. So that's, oh, what, that's what he just told he's them. He's a camp and, owner. Okay. He just told them that in this clip, and he's apologetic. Let's hear it. Son, I want to thank you for everything you've done for us. You brought back an awful lot of good memories. Kelly, sweetheart. And that was the name of his wife. Forgive me. Oh, And this was days after. Wow. You can't watch that clip without feeling a little something. Yeah. He brought a little more emotion to it than yeah. it if she had not have just killed herself. To the Meatballs franchise. <laughs> Meatballs 4 undeservedly <laughs> has that authentic performance. <laughs> He's talking to the Academy there. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what that uh, performance is going to. That was like the Eric Clapton winning all Tears. Tears the, in the Grammys yeah, yeah. for that song. Yeah, because he threw his kid out the window. Because oh <laughs> he didn't put a screen on his fucking window. <laughs> all right. Now he got I standing take, ovations just, for the rest of his life. Yeah, give me a break. <laughs> well, he's an anti-vaxxer too, so yeah. you know what What else wasn't he doing back then? Yeah. Taking care of his kid. My son fell <laughs> off the balcony. God. Now give me the Grammy. <laughs> That's a good song, man. I think we got it, Eric. Yeah. Jack was beside himself with grief, and he would call in up in front his... of himself too. Hello, hi, hi, hi. He would call up his friend Donna, who tragically lost her baby, and he'd say, "Donna, do you wanna?" <laughs> Let's talk about our angels. Guess what her baby's name was? Kelly, Jerry Van Dyke. Kelly. Uh, wow. So, needless to say, Jack was never the same again. At the rap party for Meatballs 4, months later, 
director. <laughs> he's Bob. never good at these rap parties. I think no. he's got a bad track record. We're seeing the pattern here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the party. Don't go to the rap party if he, if Jack Nance is going. Director Bobby Logan asked him the million dollar question. How's life? Oh, God. And then Jack responded, is there such a thing as life? Sometimes we cruise through it on autopilot. I don't know if I have a plane anymore. That sounds sad. It's like a slapstick comedy set. Like They're probably just keeping it light. They're not thinking. Yeah. They're like, this guy is not coming back for five. <laughs> they could have just ended the movie wherever it stood at that moment, and no one would know yeah, the difference. Totally same box office, same everything. Everything exactly the same. Yeah, same review. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, they could have just put out a blank VHS tape and nobody would know because nobody's going to watch it anyway. Or just re-release part three and call it four. Right. <laughs> so many ways around this. And we have a clip of a current affair of the show. The happiest day of my life um, was the day that I married Kelly Van Dyke. It cuts to the wedding photo where he's frowning. <laughs> he really was. Jack Nance sits alone in the apartment where Kelly killed herself and reflects on happier days. But there were ugly days. The home video footage of her last bachelor party in oh, Burbank. Jesus. Ugly days when Jack knew that wedded bliss was mixed with wedded hell. Days when Kelly was consumed in a haze of alcohol and drugs to soothe her unfulfilled dreams of being a superstar of the silver screen. To realize she was only a bit player on a screen where no one wins Oscars. Oh my God! Reputation. I heard Kelly. You know the phone call. Kelly's voice, and she said, "I love you, Jack." And there was hope. And then she was gone. So you can see it in his eyes. He's very distraught. It destroyed him. He was on a good roll, and that was short-lived. This just killed him. I think, I don't know, you know, say what you will about Kelly, but it was bad to get involved with her, probably. Of course. He was on on a decent path, and he's like, the first person he met who actually gave him any attention. He's like, why not stick with, it's just, it's a bad. It's similar to Bryn Hartman. In the yeah. sense that she might have shot him too if he was there. <laughs> shot who? Jim Nance or Jack Nance? Jack Nance. Jim Nance. You get what I'm saying? She was in a boozy, pill-filled haze. No, yeah, and filled with rage. Whatever. Similar in that they're both well-known, kind of cult-ish, kind of like you know, actory people. Kelly Van Dyke. No, no, meaning Jack Nance and... Uh, she did I, My Mother the Car as no, a kid? Jack, <laughs> N- Jack Nance and Phil Hartman, I'm saying. They're oh, both yeah. Kind of similar in that sense that they they found these mates that, you know, are kind of been around the Hollywood system for a while and they weren't really, don't have good intentions. And they're just like, they attracted them because they're well known mm-hmm. for, for these roles and stuff. Yeah. And jealous. And not for good reasons like, you know, I like this guy for who he is. And that happens a lot. Yeah. You know? Although he was sad inside, he continued to find work as a character actor. And he had mellowed out enough where his family started inviting him back into the fold to celebrate holidays together. He's back at Thanksgiving. Yeah, and spend time with his nieces and nephews. In late 1995, he suffered two minor strokes and injured his knee in a car wreck the next April. So, you know, he's not doing that great. 
physically. Is this a DUI or is this? I don't know. Yeah. Although he did go back to the booze. I'm not sure when exactly. At least a couple years after the Van Dyke suicide. Uh, One day out of the blue, he called up his brother Dennis and said, hey, I want to have a drink with you. It'll be the first time in nine years. And his brother's like, okay. So they met at some bar. And Jack then informed him that he had a year to live because of some kind of blood clot in his brain that required an operation, but he wasn't going to get the operation. So he's like, so I'm going to live it up and start drinking again. His brother's like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Okay, whatever? Yeah, I, I saw an interview where his brother said this. Wow. In the movie called I Don't Know Jack. It's a documentary about Jack Nance. Wow. Oh. A very okay. rare documentary, by the way, that I yeah. somehow found. You found it? Wow. Yeah. So that was that. And <laughs> after that night, yeah, that was a- Jack Nance relapsed hard and spent the last few months of his life on a binge. And his family noticed he looked tired and puffy at the last Thanksgiving together in 1996. Ooh. That brings us to December 29th, 1996. Jack Nance was getting coffee at a Winchell's Donuts near his apartment in South Pasadena. Nice area. On Fair Oaks Avenue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m. <laughs> it's a the, weird time to be getting coffee. The story goes that he got into a scuffle with a couple of delinquent kids who were hanging out around there, and they beat him up. He later called up his friends Catherine Case and Leo Bargarini. I think one of our new fans in Italy, by the way. Yeah. Um, So he calls up Catherine and Leo requesting they meet for lunch. So Leo picked him up. I'm saying Leo because that's how he said it in the documentary. Leo. Princess Leo. You know, like (laughs) Leo DiCaprio. Exactly. (laughs) Leo my ego. Hello. (laughs) Leo picked him up and they met Catherine at Shaker's restaurant (laughs) around 3 p.m. Shakers is like, it's a, like a chain. It's yeah. like a shitty chain. He was sporting a large black eye and he said his head was aching. <laughs> Bet. And they're like, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> they they kind of gave him that look like, oh, what now? Like, are you serious? Like, how do you find all this trouble? Well, he's a chaotic friend. Like, he's got, like, you never, if he calls, you're like, what the fuck is it this time with yeah. this guy? Like when Kyle calls me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then Jack Nance claimed that they were homeless bums that were hanging out there. Unhuffed. And that he told them off, which then led to a brawl that ended with some punches to his face. And he also lost his glasses. My glasses. <laughs> I can't see no more. My shoes fell off. <laughs> he conceded that he probably got what he deserved. The guy died and we're just laughing at him. Right <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So his friend Catherine acted as a kind of, she usually acted as kind of motherly to him. So she ordered Leo to take him back home, get his clothes changed, make sure he washes up and gets some rest. Wow. She told this. this, She snapped and Leo fucking moved. Yeah. (laughs) What a weird dynamic, these three. Yeah. On the way home, Leo stopped by Winchell's so that they could piece together what happened exactly. So that's pretty smart. To like Like, tell the police or something? Or let's get to the bottom of this. Like what happened? But unfortunately, Jack stayed in the car completely uninterested and muttered, I can't believe those kids would beat me up. (laughs) So they did not get to the bottom of it. So now they're not just homeless people, they're kids. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's murky. And not the vice versa of, I can't believe I punched those kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He probably threw the first punch against a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah. Leo dropped him off at his place on Fair Oaks near the Winchells. Yep. And Jack Nance went to bed. The next day, December 30th, 1996, Leo returned around noon to check on him, but found him dead on the bathroom floor. Holy shit. Wearing his robe and pajamas. Mm. His, At least he got in the pajamas. He died in Leo comfort. Made sure of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in slippers, I hope. Died in style. Yeah. His head injury had caused a subdural hematoma in the brain, like a buildup of excess blood. Man. And that's what killed him. Plus, he had a clot, too. Yeah, like someone this. must have knocked him in the back of the head, too. It's not just knocked like the black guy. Loose. Yeah. That's my clot. murky, too. I don't even know if I believe that he had a clot. Yeah. Oh, you think he was Royal Tenenbaum in it? I don't know. <laughs> That's such a great reference to throw in there. It's Gene Hackman, Royal Tenham. Yeah. He was Hackman. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> Autopsy revealed a blood alcohol level of 0.24%. That's pretty high. Three times the limit. His age, 53. Wow. He's too old for to be fighting people. He looked kids. like he was 83. Oh, jeez. And we have a clip. Wait, what? He was 53 when he died? Yes. Dude, so he was like... In his late 30s when he looked like a 70-year-old. Yeah. What the fuck? We're close to his age when he looked like a grandpa. Wow. That's crazy. Twin Peaks was what, 91? Mm-hmm. That much oh vodka is So he was in his 40s. Yeah, 40s then, yeah. Fresh as a daisy. Jesus. <laughs> and I have a clip from the documentary of Catherine Case and Leo Bogarini talking about that last night. That night he calls me and he goes, well, Leo's on his way home. And he goes, I love you. I love you so much. And every time he'd always say, see you in a minute. And that was his, always his last words, you know. And um, that night he even said, I need to go to church. And I'm like, church, Jack, you want to go to church? We'll go to church tomorrow, you know. And he said, bye. And I said, bye. I love you. Next morning when I came back. You I know, love I you. In the bathroom. Was there. It just. It was tough to see that, you know, because I, like a Jack I, I Nicholson impersonator. Think, you know, for <laughs> one moment that he was that yeah, was going to happen. That you know? it was, I knew he wasn't doing too good physically. You could see too it, good, you know? I mean, and he, I don't speak too he's good. He's wearing out, but to think that he's going to pass away is like it's kind of tough. And, <laughs> I left him with like a bulging head wound. Yeah. It's so weird that he like died. Yeah. <laughs> Very articulate, weird guy there. Like changed his pants. Yeah, he was a good guy and shit happened. I love you. The way she said, like, eight people that talk like yeah. that. Yeah. His social network is just a bunch of fucking weird people. Oh my God. Bring me back the cast of Eraserhead. <laughs> yeah, I need somebody normal. normal. Yeah. <laughs> so the exact details surrounding his death are shrouded in mystery. It remains a cold case because technically it's a fucking murder. Yeah, it's a homicide. Yeah, and the guys who beat him up have never been arrested or identified. There were no witnesses. It's not on camera, and it's unclear as you guys pondered. Who threw the first punch? Mm. Could have been him. His last ramblings is the only yeah. evidence of what happened. Who kn- who knows? Like he could have like 
through a crazy haymaker, like a like a crazy mm-hmm. drunk with the road, just like with no form. Or maybe he threw a rock at these people and like it hurt one of them. And who knows? Yeah. yeah. In, in one version, it was two homeless crackheads who were asking him for change. And then he yelled, get a job and a haircut. Before Where they did he get off? Before they tackled him to the ground. Well, he worked at the Hollywood Hotel, remember? Exactly. And in another version, they were a couple of dark-haired punk kids, possibly Latino. Uh-oh. Or Latinx, as you say nowadays. Sure. And he yelled at them for basically loitering and thus triggered a fist fight. Yeah. I have a, one more recollection from our buddy David Lynch. Oh, let's hear it. I think in this donut shop... You know, you can only kind of, you know, imagine what goes on. But he just went in probably to get some coffee. Um, maybe a, he didn't like um, it wasn't really an eater. You know, he loved to drink coffee. And um, <laughs> he didn't. Eat. So you could see him in this donut shop and you could see these guys there and Jack, you know, in his surly thing. And he could be kind of verbally abusive. So he might have said something. And then that was that was it. And he just got hit really hard. <laughs> Does that clear it up? <laughs> the defense rests. So Jack Nance was cremated and his ashes were scattered at sea. Months after his death, he made a posthumous appearance as a mechanic in Lynch's Lost Highway, along with Robert Blake. Great movie. And there's some other connections in that movie. I rewatched it recently. Still doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a beautiful movie. Uh, it makes no sense. With a great <laughs> soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Yep. The uh, magic moment. Um, Lou Reed. Lou Reed cover. Yep. Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. Marilyn Manson, who's kind of controversial as well now. Very much so. Like Robert Blake. Robert Blake. That's really the thing you remember the most yeah. from that movie. Robert Blake. Yeah. And basically the star of the movie is uh, the, the guy, um, Baltazar Getty. It's like one of the main stars. Yeah. He's like an heir to the, you know, billionaire fortune of the Gettys. Lost Highway, also the last film appearance for Richard Pryor. He plays Arnie, the owner of the garage where Jack Nance works as a mechanic. Mm. And one more thing. Uh, the girlfriend of Baltazar Getty, Natasha Greggs Wagner. Uh, Gregson Wagner. Gregson Wagner. Daughter of Daddy Wagner. Yes. Uh, not daughter, but daughter uh, kind of adopted. Of stepdaughter of Gregson, the producer. Yes, and she wants Wagner to be her daddy. Her daddy, so Wagner. she can get the fortune. <laughs> yeah, of course. So he's innocent, and she made a whole movie yeah. as we talked about. But we digress. That's a whole other yeah, issue. Podcast. No, but yeah. I was so excited to get to that one. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, Nance also appeared in Twin Peaks: The Return in episode number seventeen via archive footage, and the episode was. In memory of him. Wow. wow. And then one final note. It's another connection I made. Can you play that clip? So this is the detective that was talking about the Kelly Van Dyke case. This was the uh, investigation of the uh, apparent suicide of Kelly Van Dyke that occurred on the 17th of November 1991, about five in the afternoon at her place of residence. Detective Mike Coffey is one of Hollywood's top cops. He's caring, he's compassionate, but he's also precise. Expose on it. He's also precise. Why did they get a British guy to do like some fucking voiceover for this guy? (laughs) So I started thinking, 
why does that name sound familiar? Then I went back to my notes of the William Shatner episode, and I have a quote from Mike Coffey from the William Shatner episode. Oh, oh shit. The totality of the whole investigation indicates an accident. Drinking was definitely a problem for her, meaning Nareen Shatner. Yeah. Everyone knew she was an alcoholic. She just couldn't beat her problem. So that's the same detective that just wiped his hands of the Shatner case. Wow. Nothing to see here. She was a drunk who drowned herself. No wow. more investigation. So he's needed. a lazy fucking bum who just doesn't <laughs> want to do anything else. Yeah. He probably went to Winchell's, probably had like a thousand donuts. Like, yeah, you know, case closed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I thought you were saying the connection was the fact that his name was Coffee. And that's how Jack Nance pretty much died, was going out for a cup of coffee. Hello. Bring <laughs> oh. two sugars. Check, please. <laughs> Time to go to heaven. Time to go to heaven. I'm not that clever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So final thoughts. Uh, this guy seemed like a real wild card. I think the biggest problem I have with anything in this story is uh, Kelly Van Dyke not using Van Dyke or like a Van Dyke pun as uh, her stage name for porn. That's the big problem you That's have the there. biggest problem I have. <laughs> it was right there for her. Well, her real name was better as a porn name than her porn name Yeah, was. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think I remember hearing about this story, and the guy was like a wild kind of drunk character. And I think, you know, he just fucking, you know, spouted off his mouth to the wrong people, like David Litch was saying. And then, you know, they, they bashed him about the head and... um Good luck finding people like that. There was no cameras around then. Yeah. You know, it, it's this is 19, it's still 96, but mm-hmm. like still there's no, there's no uh, surveillance or anything like that. You're going to get, uh, it's not, not like the wire. No one's, you know, yeah. paying attention like that. So, you know, on some level, maybe they put him out of his misery because he seemed like a very miserable guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you're going around talking shit to people as much as he probably was, it's going to catch up to you at one point. Yep. Not Especially that, in LA. Yeah, not that you're going to die or get killed, but you're going to get the shit kicked out of you at some point. Of course. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get like a fucking barrel over the head. If you just keep going out at four in the morning, that's when like the <laughs> maniacs are just fucking <laughs> hanging out in the street. It's even worse now, obviously, than 1996. Yeah. In South Pasadena, not a bad area. Even no. now, like I don't, he must have really went out of his Pissed way. someone off. Yeah. yeah. And I always say this. Nothing good happens after 4 a.m. Yeah. No way. You do always say that. <laughs> Go to bed. Yeah. Another or weird, to the airport. <laughs> or to the airport. <laughs> Another weird detail. Some versions have it that it was not open yet, the donut shop. So he was waiting around for it to open. Oh. But the hole in that scenario is that I think it's open 24 hours. Hmm. The shop should be able to clear that up. Like, why is why did the shop not step in and say, "Yeah, we were closed or we were open"? Yeah, they yeah. Should... Well, well, we got this crack fucking uh, squad of detectives on the case. Yeah, <laughs> who are just doing these ridiculous videos for themselves and not really investigating anything. Yeah. The other interesting thing is there's two people out there right now that killed Jack Nance. Maybe they're listening to the show. I'm making a plea right now. Come on in. Let's talk about it. Well, let's, yeah. Well, you know, let's do a Zoom call. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. My guess is that if they were actually homeless in 96, I would go to bet that there's not someone who was homeless in 1996 that's still homeless now and alive. Remember, though, that is Jack Nance saying 
Yeah. They were homeless. They also were long-haired hippies. Yeah. They, also they were studs were, under the bridge. They were Latinos <laughs> for a minute. Yeah, so yeah. it could have been anybody. Yeah. It could have been the kid from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Wait, what are you trying to say? Is this, your, is this your blind item, but you're not, you're saying it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting. Most likely they're dead. Yeah. Or they're so out of it, or they were so drugged up. They don't even remember. I think Kyle's that right. They beat up an old. They man. could be living on Skid Row right now. They're just like that was just another light, another night in their life, and they don't really realize that they killed a, an, an actor because I don't know. You yeah, know, that's the, what I'm the, saying. The that's poor Anhas communities here, they don't really know what pop culture is. Yeah, a lot of the times they don't really they don't have computers to get frames of reference or yeah. They don't if you're go homeless, you're movies. not probably caught up on Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't know uh, the the character arc of Ross on Friends. (laughs) (laughs) You're not keeping up with the circle. Yeah, yeah. definitely not. Get in. Actually, maybe they should. Maybe that'll uh, be a good step in the right direction for them. (laughs) But there's also, (laughs) there's the internet then, but, you know, things traveled slower. So the odds that they would even realize they killed Jack Nance. Yeah. And we're we're not here to dump on, like, the homeless people, but it's it's interesting how... (laughs) That Mark's act- afraid to offend homeless people. I'm afraid to offend anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid to offend Jack Nance. But I, I, I did. Call him a scumbag. I did call him a scumbag, and I did say that um, Eric Clapton threw his baby out the window. So we could edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have happened. If you want to edit it, we can. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still think he's a scumbag? No, I think no. I, at the end of it, I don't think he's a scumbag. I think he's just a guy with a problem that tried to change his ways, and it just he couldn't catch a break. And mm. like in this world of everything, so everything sucks and everything's so tough. Some people don't catch a break. You know, he did in his acting career and stuff. And I think just the drinking, it just got the best of him. Some people can handle it. Some people cannot, and he cannot handle it. Yeah, that situation with. Kelly Van Dyke really made me have some sympathy. Of course, for yeah. Him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Troubled man. I wouldn't say he couldn't catch a break because he caught a lot of breaks, but he just couldn't get out of his own way. Yeah, right. and those rap parties were no good for him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with Chris Farley. He would at SNL. He would just get oh, yeah. fucking annihilated. Nothing <laughs> good would happen from it. Another episode. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep. About a year later. What do you think, died. Alejandro, in your in your research of Jack Nance, do you think he was a bad guy or a good guy? Neither. Misunderstood. At his heart was a good guy, an interesting yeah. guy. But alcoholism and drugs yeah. will destroy that. Of course. And the monster will come out. When he was sober during the Twin Peaks time. Yeah. And when he was married to Kelly Van Dyke, there you saw a really sweet guy. Yeah. Sober nine years. Nine years. Wow. Yeah, I think some people that kind of came up in the 60s and 70s, you know, they never left that era. Yeah. like in, And that was such a crazy, drug-fueled, insane time that they just never left it. And it seemed like he was able to give it a break for like nine years, but then he got swept back into it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, R.I.P. Rest in peace. Jack yep. Nance. Jack Nance. Another one. Another, another real one. Yeah. In a lot too of real. A lot of areas near us <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, not too far away. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, where she committed suicide is like a couple of blocks north, and yeah. he's a little bit uh, east of us. 
Yeah, about twenty minutes eats. Yeah, East. eats. Are you saying eats because they went to? Oh, he's got donuts yeah, they, on the mind. They went to donuts. <laughs> and like I told you guys before, this kind of turned into like a two-person episode because of that Kelly Van Dyke yeah. story. Yeah, absolutely. That's a Hollywood casualty right there. Yep, their worlds collided. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Yep, at DiePod2021. I'm starting to do more stuff on there. I've been kind of letting it get stagnant a little bit, but I'm going to start getting uh, more active there on we the go. Twitter. YouTube, Instagram, Death and Entertainment. Uh, we love hearing your comments. Email yeah, us. Love the comments. At- like I like the good ones and the bad ones. I'll, I get responses for you yeah we deal marky over here (laughs) but it's all in good fun we'll we'll have a you know spirited conversation if you have something not nice to say you know we'll work it out with you yeah (laughs) we'll talk through it we're not talking like a nance way of doing it we might until's donuts (laughs) (laughs) you damn eight-year-old yeah (laughs) you had 7-eleven uh debates (laughs) swinging them around by their hair you motherfuckers (laughs) like matilda yeah (laughs) you're Uh, little i'm big yeah. <laughs> Email us at deathandentertainment at gmail.com. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Please do. We love you. Till next week. Keep coming back. All right, guys. See you later. Bye bye. Don't go dying on us. You have just heard a true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.